Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Welcome to the last in the series of Countryside, here uh, with Kiri Kermud and Simon Clark. And good old chat I had with Neil Morris, the Managing Director of Manx BirdLife, Kiri, and the year-long census that's been going on, and the, the work, as we'll find out during the interview, the work and the hours uh, that's gone into that. Um, you know, the, the results aren't finalised yet, but, you know, uh, some interesting trends so far. It is fascinating what what shows up in these trends, but the amount of birds they will have seen in that year-long census would have been phenomenal. It would have been thousands, I imagine. Oh, yes. We go through the numbers of uh, uh, miles the boat has gone and, uh, you know, wow. how many times they were seasick and things oh. like that. Oh, yeah. We got all the, all the geel from, from Neil in that. But it's fascinating because the Isle of Man, you know, it's just... Because it's, I suppose, 100 miles, is it, around the coastline of the Isle of Man. And it's just such a variation in, of different types of bird all over the place. And, and Neil explains, you know, what things may be affecting uh, different seabirds that you wouldn't really think uh, could affect them. And it's nice to see that the odd puffin is showing up as well, too, since our trip out to the Calf of Mansi and the artificial ones. It's well, obviously working. Well, you never know. We've, I suppose it works with ducks, with the decoys and things, doesn't it? So all that uh, in Countryside this week. Plus, um, you've been talking to a well-respected farmer from Balgene and Lochmoller Farm, Ian Parsons. <laughs> Ian's very busy at the moment getting the spring crops in, but he's also calving his cows there and uh, awaiting his hill sheep for lamb. And so a very, very busy farmer indeed, and I managed to steal five minutes with him. Yeah, but it, it's, well, you know yourself from, uh, you know, the, the the spring and the winter that we've had. It's, you know, things are behind us. We spoke with Tim Johnson last week on the programme. And it just it's just... Uh, Everyone's under a little bit of pressure. You know, the, the weather's finally been a little bit kinder, but uh, still loads to do, isn't there? There really is. And just waiting for that ground to be just at the perfect temperature and the right conditions to get the drill in as we catch up with Arthur Rackler from the Keller as well. And uh, he's been waiting for the drying to come to get the, the plants all done. Well, when I um, a couple of weeks ago, my brother, uh, after he plastered the side of our house with the, the, with the muck spreader, um, <laughs> he planted the corn seeds and uh, the fertiliser and everything. And, and the, the seeds are all up now. The, the, you look through the thing this morning there and all the, the little uh, green shoots are all sticking out of the ground. That's amazing in two weeks. It so, really know, is. It's just been perfect for that. A welcome sight, isn't it? Yeah. All right, that's all in this week's Countryside. Here it is. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, Kiri, a, a sheep farmer yourselves and beef as well. And one other person who's involved in both from the east of the island, the Laxey areas, uh, Ian Parsons from Balgene. Yes, Ian is a very well-known beef and sheep farmer on the Isle of Man, and especially seeing his sheep up around Snaefell and the Thalty Wheel Road. I caught up with Ian to see how the winter and spring has been this year. It's been a really hard winter. It started early, September time. It turned really wet, and you sort of kept sort of saving ground, hoping that it would dry out and you yeah. could put cows and calves, sheep and lambs onto that ground. And it didn't. <laughs> so, you know, there was a lot of damage done to grassland last autumn. Usually when we have a a sort of early start to winter you hope it's going to be a nice spring and a short winter but it hasn't been that we've had it at both ends of the year so yeah it's been really difficult and hard on stock especially outwintered stock it's been a long telling winter on them is it both hard on sheep and cattle or can one endure it more than the other i think it's been hard on both sheep probably stand it a little bit better but you know the weather's been that bad at lambing time anybody you know the isle of man a lot of people are lambing the beginning of april 
you know, the weather was pretty horrendous then and you can't just bring them all inside when you're lambing and yeah, it's been hard on them there. So been caught both ends really with both sheep and cattle and, and there's an awful lot of young stockers still in sheds, not been turned out yet because it's such a late spring, we're short of grass. So. People have been saying it has been hard trying to get fodder, hay, silage and whatever on the Isle of Man to keep things going. Do you see this happening year on year? It's a worry going forward, I think. We, you know, Everybody's talking about global warming. We sort of laugh about it a bit, say the weather just goes in cycles, but it seems to be happening more and more that we're having wetter winters and longer winters, late springs. So, yeah, you know, there, there might have to be a real rethink of the way the livestock sector is on the Isle of Man going forward if this is the, going to become the normal because, you know, there's just not the margins in the job for the extended winter. You know, feeding stock at grass is, you know, the most economical way of feeding them. So a lot of food has to be imported on the island. These costs, I still imagine, are climbing. Yeah, there will be. And, you know, poor harvest is going to drive up the price of feed. The raw materials are in short supply on the mainland as well, so that'll drive up costs even more. And you're busy at the moment calving cows, trying to get crops in. Is this a bit later than normal for you, or is it just... Because you're up on the hill here in Laxey, it will be a bit slower, I suppose. Cows are calving fast, so they can't, can't <laughs> slow them down. I'd quite like to slow them down till there's a bit more grass, but we're, we are a late farm up here. We sort of start at 500 foot and climb up to um, the hills, so... We don't always have a lot of grass, but I would say this is the latest spring for grass I can remember. I would say, in fact, I probably at this stage have more grass in 2013 after the snow than what we've got this year. Because that snow year was one that everybody can remember. But this has been just so difficult on farmers. Do you see like farmers are going to move their calving or lambing dates later? You know, could we end up in May? Maybe, yeah, maybe. You know, if this is going to become the norm, because like traditionally more people lambed in March and we've sort of moved to April but yeah. you know I don't know but the trouble is you you lose that spring growth and it's hard to catch it up your stock's weaned lighter you're not weaning as heavier animals therefore you've got more feed costs to get the final product so yeah I'm not sure it's a certainly changing times I would say. And with you Ian working with the Meat and Livestock Committee you'll see a lot of farming around the Isle of Man is many methods changing is the numbers going up or down? I would say numbers are there it's been a difficult year with you know the sort of changes and uncertainty with the meat plant. Obviously, that appears resolved now. So you know, so hopefully that'll give a little bit of confidence to the industry. Though I have to say, this spring will have had quite an impact as well. And where people had intended on keeping cattle for finishing, they'll, there'll be uncertainty with grain crops in the ground and whether there'll be feed this autumn and and also turning out to grass. There'll be a shortage of grass get like for people to turn out onto. So. Yeah, there's going to be changes, I would think. And how do you see it happening with Brexit coming along? Yeah, will it affect the Isle of Man much? It's got to affect the Isle of Man because you know, we, we trade into the UK. 70, 80% of our sheep meat is sold into the UK. We live sell into the UK. There's an awful lot of four-quarter beef is sold into the UK. So any effect that has on the UK is going to have a knock-on effect to us. And you know, we'll have to abide to all the world trade organisation rules and regulations just the same as we had to with the EU rules and regulations when we were trading into the EU. I know that farmers are quite adaptable and it seems to be the case now you're going to have to be ready for change. Yeah you've got to be ready for change and, and the whole job is so you know certainly in the red meat sector the you know the margins are so tight that we've just got to be more and more tight on our costs and efficiencies and benchmarking just to, to try and make sure that you can scrape as much out of it as you possibly can. And how do you see younger people coming into agriculture? Is it still a career that's quite sought after, do you think? Yeah, it, you know, it, it is a great career. You know, those of us that do it love the job, but I think the worry, in fact, well, in my own situation, got um, son and nephew keen to come in, both sort of 16, 17, but you're trying to encourage them to go and do other things first so they've got something else behind them if, 
you know, if there isn't a future in the job, because margins are that tight in the job, that there isn't a great return there at the moment. So I would just personally like them to have another form of earning a living if they need to, but hopefully it'll be involved in the farm. Like, but And I, I see that roundabout with lots of young fellas, that they should go and get experience elsewhere and then there should be a vibrant industry here for them. And you have a big enterprise with Bolgeen and Lockmuller. You know, you're not doing it single-handedly. No, no, I'd be absolutely <laughs> lost without Robbie and Heather. They're great. They get on with the job and can just leave them to it. And yeah, it, it's a team effort, like very much so. So the cabin is underway. Lamin, hill lamin soon? Hill lamin's just starting now. Um, the lamin round here is just about finished. We've just finished the first cycle of cows calving. We've done the first 21 days. So we're, we're about 65, 70% of them carved. So it'll slow down a little bit now, but it's been a hard one and challenging just getting them out. But the hill's underway now. It's been a hard winter on them too. The hills are, are quite bare, but there's a little bit more shelter up there when it is wet. You know, they'll find drier lime, but it's um, same. been a real hard, long winter on them. People do look forward to seeing the lambs up on Snaefell and Faulty there. They, they are absolutely lovely when they're sitting back and they're enjoying the sunshine they're in. Yeah, I love it up in the mountains. It's, uh, it, it's a great place to be and... You know, it doesn't naturally look like that. It's, it's as a result of farming is why the hills look like that. They'll be all overgrown. You wouldn't be able to walk through them if there wasn't sheep up there grazing. So it's all part of the biodiversity of the island, isn't it? It's all interlinked. That was Ian Parsons, well-known beef and sheep farmer from Laxey. And he's uh, well-respected, I think, Ian, isn't he? He's involved in the NFU and, uh, you know, he's got a, a lot of area to cover, really. The, the Balgene and the bits at Loch Moller there as well. Or Law Mallow. Some ah. of the uneducated say, isn't it? <laughs> he has. He does cover a lot of ground and he's got a good team with him there supporting him all the way too. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been a trying year for everyone we've been on about, haven't we? And, uh, you know, there seems to be uh, a bit of positive and a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, the looks of things as well. Ian's yeah. very enthusiastic mm. and, and that rubs off with his NFU role and puts it out to the other farmers as well. And now with the spring crops getting planted and the cows starting to calve as well, you know, summer's only around the corner, so surely it'll be given everything in a lift won't it indeed it will one other member from the north of the Isle of Man that's well known good friend of mine as well he's got a, a lot to contend with a bit flatter land there certainly where uh, the keller is concerned with Arthur Radcliffe Arthur a very busy man at the moment getting all the crops planted and very well known for providing barley and wheat and straw for the island's farmers I caught up with Arthur during a very busy time for him at the moment we were very lucky actually because in the north we've had a, we had a slightly better weather than they had in the south and we it was a struggle, but we got all, all of it in eventually anyway, so I've seen worse, it wasn't too bad. It, it seems to be the weather coming in worse earlier in the year, like August, September time. The weather's more changeable now. I think you're right in saying the weather's more changeable because we tend to find that you run from one problem to another. You either get a, a wet August, uh, a wet autumn, cold or wet spring, dry May, and then a horrendous harvest again. <laughs> So the weather seems to be, as I say, fluctuates a lot more than it used to. Take, for instance, ploughing. We used to have a fairly leisurely ploughing time over the winter. In fact, you'd start in November and you'd get a few, a few, a bit done every month sort of thing. And by the time you came to springtime, it was all done. But in the past two or three years, we find that it's been you had such tremendous winters. You end up doing all your ploughing in March and April, which makes it a bit... Problematic. It seems to be in the case this year in particular, Arthur. You know, we're nearly at the end of yeah, April, beginning yes. of May, and there's still lots of cultivating being done. Yes. We're very lucky, really, because um, we're about 
a week behind normal. I'm fortunate in the fact we've got a, quite a wide range of soil types, which spreads the load. And I've got three very guys, if I can mention them, Ian and Stephen and Tank, that work with me. And they've stuck to it very well. And they've done a great job. And I think we've more or less caught up. Having said that, I've got four fields I haven't dared look at yet. But they'll be coming along shortly. But having said that, usually, my experience tells me, once you come to the 23rd of April with sowing, yields tend to drop off. But having said that, last year, I put a field in on the 8th of May and did best for the lot. Oh, my word! So it all depends, it all depends on the following season, really. Yeah. So we're not panicking at the moment anyway. But does it matter what variety or choice of crop you put in, especially here on the Isle of Man, you know, it is very windy. Do, do the crops stand it well? Modern crops stand it a lot better than the previous one, you know, going back 20 or 30 years. Yeah. The modern crops tend to be hold on to grain a lot better. What I tend to do, I've got a, a variety called Wagon, which is, isn't a very good variety, but it's very early maturing. So I keep that till the end, and we sow the later field with that variety, and it does give it a chance to catch up. So a variety choice has got a quite a factor in it really and with all the, the crops getting harvested later in the year there seems to be a strong demand for cereal on the island from livestock farmers yeah. yes there is uh, i have this uh, compounding business i run at the moment and that's doing very well i'm glad to say it's good demand i think a lot of people are getting brassed off as growing cereals now the only thing i've learned in 60 years of growing cereals is that the isle of man is not an ideal climate for them <laughs> you've either got a wet autumn or a cold spring or dry May or horrendous uh, weather at harvest time. So really, it's a bit of hit and miss all along. So uh, that's the way it goes. You wouldn't change it, though. It I seems to be the crop of choice. It is. Yes, I like to tell you the truth. I'm probably getting too lazy to run after <laughs> sheep all the time. I'll tell you what, I am very sorry for the farmers who've been lambing in March and April this year. It must have been every time I got up, I think, thank God I haven't got those sheep because um, it must have been pretty horrendous this year, I imagine. Farmers have felt it right across the Isle of Man. But going on to that, Arthur, the straw. You know, you'll have the, the byproduct of yeah. the corn, the straw. Yeah. I imagine that's been in strong demand. Yeah. What I tend to do, I haven't really benefited much from it, but I tend to sell my straw to the buyers of the feed. And I don't put the price up too much because I want them to come back next year. So I, what I try to do is average out the cost. It doesn't always work, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, t I try to average out the cost from one year to the next. So although straw has been at a premium this year, I can't say I've made an absolute, contrary to popular <laughs> belief, I wouldn't say I've made an absolute fortune out of it. It has been like gold dust, yes, hasn't it? but so. I say I tend to give people, as I say, who stick with me through thick and thin, I tend to stick through them through thick and thin. And that's it, the loyalty, and, and it's been needed this year. The, yes. the winter has been long. There's cattle and sheep still in across the yes. whole of the Isle of Man. It, grass is slow coming. Is grass something you'd look at in the future, maybe? Not if we can avoid it. What I do is uh, we've got, of the, of the land, we've got about half of it in cereals and the other half I let out to other people for sheep and cattle. So that works well. We get a, we get a sensible rotation, not in continuous arable all the time. Generally about five years cereal, five years grass, and then rotate it all the way around. So it keeps up the fertility to a certain extent. And that's essential for you, yes. for growth of the crop and the yield in all. The investment in machinery over time, 
combines, sprayers, yeah. even now drying equipment. Yes. Oh, it is. Uh, I haven't got quite the amount of investment in now, because as I say, a lot of my work is done by contract. But even having said that, the amount of investment I've got in machinery is pretty phenomenal when you look at it. That was Arthur Ratcliffe from the Keller Farm in Solby. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, after a year of hard work by a lot of people, the Alaman Seabird Census has finally come to an end. I caught up with the managing director of Manx Birdlife, Neil Morris, to find out whether it'd be too early for any results so far. Well, we're still assimilating the data. We do have all the data in, so we certainly have first indications as to what that data is showing us, but it needs a bit more pouring over just to see how significant some of these changes are are statistically how reliable the data is. The first indications show a pretty worrying picture. Seabirds across the island have been decreasing in number and particular species are in freefall. Their populations are declining rapidly. One or two species we've seen an increase in and what we're finding is on initial inspection of the data it looks like we're following the same sort of pattern that is happening across the whole of northwestern Europe and the British Isles with our seabird populations. So it, it, although it's a worry, this seems to be happening all over this decline. Yes, I think you know if you ask the question what is affecting the fortunes of these seabirds, it's the usual suspects, it's disturbance, pollution, it's food. There is an undercurrent of climate change And for each species, that cocktail of factors affects them in different ways. If you take the local situation here on the island, undoubtedly there's a bit of climate change which is affecting sea temperature, it's affecting availability of food, but certainly there's a lot more we could be doing locally to protect our seabirds, to give them a much better chance of breeding success each year. And by doing a few simple things, we should certainly expect to be able to increase the populations of quite a few of our seabirds around the island. It's not people getting out and and walking more to try and get a bit of exercise. We were all told to get out and walk to live a healthy lifestyle. Does this have an effect on the birds? Undoubtedly it has an effect, yes. I mean, we we want people to go out and see seabirds and to enjoy seabirds, but clearly the more recreation, the more leisure and entertainment that takes place out in the countryside and particularly for seabirds because they're ground nesting birds that really brings them into conflict with people and so what we have to do is find ways to enable the birds to flourish and for people to get out into the countryside and enjoy them and I think there's a few interesting pointers we've got seabird colonies up on the cliffs Now, you would think they're not particularly prone to disturbance from people because cliffs are quite difficult to get to. But if you imagine an increase in rock climbing, an increase in boat traffic beneath the cliffs, use of drones, for example, even birds out on fairly remote cliffs are becoming more vulnerable to disturbance. There's another worrying pattern as well, which is we've seen colonies around the island disappear and a consolidation of populations into the southeast of the island. If you like, birds are withdrawing 
from a, a general distribution around the island and becoming more concentrated down in the southeast. And what that means is that um, the fewer seabirds we have left are becoming even more vulnerable to disturbance or even stochastic events such as storms in one location. And it means that just one big spring storm now could take out a much larger proportion of all the island seabirds just in one incident. You mentioned about them all congregating in one area. I mean, do most of the seabirds get on or, or do some attack each other or is it just when they're nesting really that they're obviously on the defence? Well seabirds sea typically nest in colonies because there's safety in numbers but as ever that's mixed in with predatory species and it's about the balance and in most thriving seabird colonies there, there's a very fine balance between prey and predator and predator numbers don't control the number of prey species. It's in fact the other way round, which sometimes can feel quite counterintuitive. But you have to imagine that if the prey species, such as the smaller orcs, for example, are successful and flourishing, that allows the predator species to be successful as well. But it's very rarely the case that you get an excess of predators that then diminishes the stock of prey. However, that changes when you get things such as interference from people, pressures such as low food stocks. Birds' habits can change as those pressures start to kick in. But I don't think we're seeing a huge amount of evidence for that here on the island. And we certainly don't have birds such as great skewer and arctic skewer, which are real apex predators that will prey on smaller seabirds such as those that we have here. We don't have those sorts of birds. Some of the gulls are predatory on the orcs, but again, it's that, that balance. And I, and I think we have a reasonably healthy balance here. And I get asked a lot of questions about seagulls, for example. While we were undertaking the survey last year, there was a question to Tinwald about herring gulls. And the inference was, do we need to control or cull herring gulls because they're stealing people's chips? Well, actually, if you look at the results, Herring gull numbers have crashed to a seventh of what they were 30 years ago. So, that, so herring gulls are declining quite nicely, thank you, without any need for a cull. But I think the point is there that perhaps at one stage, herring gull numbers on the island were artificially increased by landfill areas. Herring gulls are opportunistic scavengers and they make good use of landfill areas and perhaps their numbers increased artificially that's now gone and perhaps we're getting to a more balanced number of herring gulls but what we've also seen is a behavioral change there's a lot of rubbish and food left around our towns and that attracts the gulls in again i make the point that they're opportunistic scavengers they're very good at it so if we leave food lying around they will come and scavenge that and some of them get quite bold and they get used to the fact that they're fairly safe around people and people often throw them chips and, and they get used to that so they will then come looking for those chips but they're certainly not intending to do people any harm and as I say um, herring gull numbers across the British Isles are declining we've seen significant declines here and it's essentially a red listed species that's currently in freefall. The marine part of the Isle of Man seems to be doing a, a good job trying to 
protect the seabeds and obviously the fishing rights of the Isle of Man. Has this had an effect on, on the decline of it, where there's less fish for them? Well, I think historically fishing is very obviously implicated in falling fish stocks. That changes the ecosystem of our marine environment and that undoubtedly has had a big effect on our seabird populations. However, I think the Isle of Man is doing a fantastic job with its marine conservation work. The challenge now is twofold, to do similar effective work around our coasts where we can protect the seabirds where they're nesting, but also to think about the fact that seabirds, they'll travel a long way to get their food. I mean, Manx shearwaters will forage 300 miles in a day quite happily to forage for food. And therefore, we have to work with other jurisdictions to look at conservation measures for waters much further offshore from the island that are not currently within our jurisdiction. Obviously, you still compile on results. When, when will they be available for viewing? Well, they should be available fairly soon. We've been working with DEFA, who have been a major sponsor of this project. I'd also like to mention the Walney Offshore Wind Farm Extension Project and the Isle of Man Steam Packet Company, all of whom have helped to make this project possible. So we're working with our sponsors. But the other important party to the project to mention is the Seabird Monitoring Partnership. Now this is a British Isles-wide partnership of organisations that are monitoring and conserving seabirds. And by working with the Seabird Monitoring Partnership, or SMP for short, we use very particular protocols for counting seabirds. Counting seabirds can be simple on a nice calm day, it's a bit more difficult when the wind gets up when you're on the boat. But there are very precise times of day when you count the birds and there are very specific things about the birds that you're counting. For some species you might be counting their nests, for some species you might be counting just individual birds. But by counting in a very standardised way, it means that we can harmonise our data with all the other data across the British Isles and that helps to build this jigsaw, this big picture of what's happening to our seabirds across the whole of the British Isles and it allows us to see exactly where the Isle of Man fits into many of those patterns. So one of the important things we have to do before we start publishing results is work with the SMP and our sponsors, particularly DEFA, to make sure that we've understood what our patterns are and what our patterns are telling us in the context of both the Isle of Man locally and the British Isles more generally. Does it just involve counting one or two birds that you see when you pass them with your binoculars or is it a bit more a bit more challenging than that? No, it's a lot more challenging than that. We were very lucky to have uh, Bob Taylor and George Platt operating the survey boats for us. And should just to give you a few statistics that indicate that the scope and scale of the project, as I said, we were looking at 17 species of seabird around the coast and we spent about 439 hours in the boats surveying these birds. Good sailor, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we completed 500 recording sheets with all the data. We did nearly a thousand miles cruising around the island recording birds, and that's about 10 times around the island, I think. But going back and forth, going into nooky crags just to make sure that we'd counted everything. And we logged in total about 10,700 birds and or their nests. 
And we did all of that with just one incidence of seasickness throughout the whole season. Managing Director of Manx BirdLife, Neil Morris, and uh, congratulating his team on uh, the hard work they put in in a year-long survey of the just the seabirds around the coast of the Isle of Man. And, you know, just judging by what he was saying so far, you know, this, uh, that trend which seems to be happening all around uh, the British Isles where there seems to be uh, a bit of a reduction in some of the numbers of uh, types of seabird, which is sad in a way, but one or two uh, have been, you know, encouragingly up sightings. It's nice to see it fluctuating, but it is always quite sad to see some of them decrease in numbers for one reason or another. But uh, it's been some wild weather recently as well, and I'm sure that will have affected the numbers, especially on the Isle of Man and the Calf of Man. Yes, but the old seabirds are fairly clever. They know which way to face, like like sheep and cattle, really. You know, they don't see the, the sheep with their backs or oh, i'll be polite there with their backs to the wind very often do you? this is mm. it they, they get themselves tucked in out of the way of it all but uh, they've had generations of experience i suppose and it's, it's survival of the fittest around the calf of man it's a wild spot manx radio's countryside is brought to you by nfu mutual well there we are busy 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 everyone catching up on the farms curry at the moment it is flat out and uh, rightly so with the good weather it's time to get the drills and the ploughs and everything out and get the crops in and that's exactly what they're up to at the moment. How many times have you ever ploughed a field? I've never ploughed a field yet but no. I do admire... You drive a tractor. I can oh, drive right, a tractor. <laughs> and also the, the Manx bird life um, there, uh, Neil Morris, very, very enthusiastic man and, and that team, always uh, quick to praise the team that's been involved in that year-long uh, Isle of Man seabird census, you know, and it's not just, it's part of the, the whole of the British Isles thing as well, which, uh, you know, I suppose the Isle of Man, it's just got such a reputation, you know, when you're out and then, especially the southeast of the island, as, as Neil was explaining in the programme. It really is a really special place, the Isle of Man, but it's nice to get the records up to date and then people can actually adapt and change and hopefully keep the numbers on the increase rather than the decrease and mm. uh, look forward to seeing the results. Mm. Yes. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. And that's the final countryside of this series. We're back in the summer with more for you. And until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermode. We'll see you then. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all new Super Fast Plus broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds, and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shore. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com. Love being sure. Terms and conditions apply.